Well, hello, how are you doing? That's great, glad to hear it. No, it is, it's kind of a weird season, isn't it? I mean, uh, we've been fighting the flu bug at our house. I know several of you have had that same issue, and uh, I, I was so concerned that winter would never get here. And finally, we got winter. So, uh, we should pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We praise you, O oh Lord, because you are indeed good all the time. And uh, in times when we experience uh, health and in times when we are not experiencing health, you are still God and you are still good and still worthy of our praise. Lord, in times where it is warm and times when it is very cold, you are still worthy of all of our praise. And so today, Lord, as we, as we walk through these days with uh, Jesus and the, the last week of his earthly ministry, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that in these days, um, as we better understand your word, you would do a work within us that would be transformative and good, that you would help us to calibrate our walk back to where you would have us. And Lord, if, if we have deviated, that you would give us eyes to see that. Help us to correct that and help us to walk in you and with you for your good glory. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. The book of Mark uh, is uh, where we'll be at. So Mark chapter 11, for those of you who like to get there ahead of time, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 12. As you're turning there, I want to remind you a little bit of where we've been. We've already gone through 10 chapters of Mark, and in those 10 chapters, some things we saw is that the kingdom of God is dynamically different than the kingdom of this earth. The kingdom of this earth has some values, and their value systems are lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, satisfaction, significance, and security without God. And, and that's a value system that seems to be true all the way from the fall until now. In fact, we have been born in and broken because of these value systems in this world system that we live in. But God has something else in mind, and Jesus' life dynamically shows a different way, a different way of looking at things, a different way uh, of understanding things, a different set of values. Uh, we see that throughout Jesus' life. And this last week, chapter 11 through chapter 16, the last earthly week of the Lord, we're going to see uh, nothing change. <laughs> In fact, Jesus is going to double down on God's kingdom, what it looks like, what it is, how dynamically different it is. And if we could go back to the first century, one of the things that we would recognize is that Israel is anticipating the Messiah. And one of the things that Israel is anticipating of their Messiah is that he is going to come in and rule eternally. To do that, though, means that he's going to expel the Romans. In fact, for many 
in the first century would have said, it's okay if all Gentiles leave. God's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to do it through the throne of David, his Messiah, and this kingdom is going to have no end. And last week, as we turned into chapter 11, we saw Jesus come in to what we call the triumphant entry, the triumphal entry. And what that was was his coronation, right? Like, he is King Jesus. We, we heard the exclamation of, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a, a sign that the Messiah is here. A call of the people. They took their cloaks and they laid it on the ground. And they, they didn't have tons of clothes to be doing that with. But they did it for Jesus as the king of Israel coming to establish his eternal throne. Rolling out the red carpet. But they missed some things. They were hoping that Jesus would give them freedom from the oppressors. And Jesus was saying, where you need freedom, it's greater than this external force. This kingdom of man, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is deep inside. And it's broken who you are. And Jesus wants to be king over that. It's an interesting fact that Jesus, as he comes into Jerusalem, he, d- he doesn't go to Pilate and try to kick Pilate out. He doesn't go to uh, the, uh, the fortress and establish his position there or place there, but rather he goes to the temple. He looks around and leaves. And we saw that as an interesting thing because of something that we saw from other prophets. Uh, Ezekiel in particular. Ezekiel 10 through 12 identifies this vision that Ezekiel has that the glory of God comes up out of the temple and goes to the east, outside of the temple. It's interesting that Jesus comes from the east back and he goes to the temple. Part of the uh, declaration, the judgment on Israel in Ezekiel's day was that One, they had idols. Two, that they were oppressive to their own people. Three, they weren't following the prophets. And four, they had broken the commandments. And we see from Mark, it is as if Jesus is picking that back up, going into the temple to see, have things changed? The glory of God is back. Have things changed? Is there still idolatry? Is there still oppression? Are they still not following the prophets? Are they still breaking covenant? What is happening? And we see as Jesus goes into the temple, him leave. And we pick up in verse 12. And and as we go there, I want to talk to you about the flow of this passage. It's really interesting because it starts with this fig tree that is being cursed. I was like, well, why is Jesus cursing a fig tree? That doesn't seem right. And then he goes to what is called the cleansing of the temple. I want to suggest to you it is not a cleansing of the temple. We'll we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And then he goes back to the fig tree. And then he teaches about prayer. You're like, whoa, this is scattered and all over the place. But you're going to recognize that there is a movement uh, of God that is consistent, a thread that is woven throughout this that pulls it all together, that ties it together. So hang in there with me as we walk through it. I want to, again, affirm something. This fig tree piece is problematic for many people. One of the 
uh, loudest atheists of the last century is a guy named Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell wrote uh, a lot about it. He wrote a book on why he's not a Christian. And in that, one of the passages that he addresses is the passage that we're dealing with today or the narrative that we're dealing with today. Uh, he, he felt like, well, wait a minute. How can the supposed God, from his perspective, supposed God of the universe, show up and curse a fig tree that is not even supposed to be uh, bearing fruit? That doesn't sound like some sort of uh, kind deity. It doesn't sound like any sort of gracious God. It seems like uh, he's not uh, kind or good in any way. I wanted to quote him for you as we jump into it because I want you to see this, this can be problematic until we have some pieces of the puzzle. So according to Bertrand Russell in Why I Am Not a Christian, he says, Then there is the curious story of the fig tree, which always rather puzzled me. You remember what happened about the fig tree? He was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. He came, if happily, he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And Peter saith unto him, so later, Peter saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away. This is a very curious story because it was not the right time of year for figs. And you really could not blame the tree. I cannot myself feel that either in the matter of wisdom or in the matter of virtue, Christ stands quite as high as some other people known to history. I think I should put Buddha and Socrates above him in those respects. So this, this is problematic. When we look at the ministry of Jesus and the miracles that Jesus performs, we see some common things, except for this one. Common things are... He extends life where there is death. Where there is little, he brings a lot. So there is this idea of multiplication. There is this idea of life consistently in Jesus' miracles, except for here. Here, there, there's destruction. He, he destroys a, a fig tree that sh that's not even supposed to be in season. Like it shouldn't even have fruit according to the passage. We'll get into that as well. So there are some problems in this. So let's, let's put some pieces on the puzzle that we may not have. <coughs> I, I want you to know a few things. First of all, this, that Jesus acts in the manner of prophet, priest, and king. It's unique in scripture. Uh, first of all, no one is really supposed to do this, but Jesus is the one who encapsulates this, right? He is a prophet, priest and king in the order of Melchizedek. So we see Melchizedek, the king of Salem, he does this. But no one in Israel ever did this. They, and part of the reason that we see these pieces, prophet, priest, and king, is to identify when the Messiah will come. The Messiah will be better than what we have here on earth. So there is a shadow of what we see on earth that is fulfilled in the Messiah when he comes. And Mark wants us to know that Jesus is prophet, priest, and and king. How does he do that? Well, uh, he, he's a prophet. He proclaims God's word, but he's not just proclaiming God's word. He is God's word. 
So that, that's significantly different than what the prophets could do in the Old Testament as a priest. A priest is supposed to uh, bring offering and sacrifice, but Jesus, he is the offering and sacrifice. Like he fulfills priesthood in ways that priests could not fulfill. He's a prophet and a priest. He's also the king. He's not, he's not just the king, but he, he also gives us. He is the kingdom. He is the inheritance. And those are pieces that we sometimes overlook when we look at Scripture because in, uh, in the first century, our writers, they don't dissect things quite like we do in the West. Or maybe a better way of saying it is compartmentalize. Like they... They don't just like one, two, three. It's all kind of meshed together and works together. If you know these pieces, it's helpful as you read the passage to better understand it. So we have Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. That's one element. Another element is this. It's the temple precincts. And in the inner area is the court of the priests. Uh, only the priests are allowed. And then there's the, the court of the Jews or the court of Israel. Uh, the court of women, uh, further out. And then the outer area is a place, the court of the Gentiles. It's 500 yards by 350 yards. It's, it's a large place. So if you want to uh, think about that, like it's five football fields by three and a half football fields. Uh, it's a big area, right? A massive area. Josephus writes about this in 66 AD. He says that uh, the, the temple has 255,000 255, sacrifices. Well, you, you can imagine the animals that are, like, that's a lot of animals, right? Um, that's a lot of noise. And those animals are being purchased in the court of the Gentiles. So when you walk into the court of the Gentiles, you have the opportunity to purchase an animal for sacrifice. And you say, well, why don't they just bring their own? Well, many did. But some couldn't. Some couldn't. And they couldn't uh, because they were traveling. So during Passover was a time where Israel came really from all over the world to come back to the temple for sacrifice, for the Passover. And those that came, it was risky to bring their animals with them. Anything could happen. These animals could be injured. They could be hurt. Uh, and then they are no longer able to be sacrificed. So, well, thankfully, people said, well, you know what? We can help, and we can make animals available. The problem is that they started to sell these animals at ridiculous prices. So if you purchased an animal in the court of the Gentiles, then you, you were paying a lot for that animal. Whereas maybe three or four miles away, you, you could get it much cheaper. Perhaps uh, one, one theologian said maybe it was marked up even ten times the amount it should be. So they're paying crazy, ridiculous prices in the court of the Gentiles. And they're paying it. The extra goes to uh, uh, the religious leaders of the day. Not just that, but they also had money changers there. And you might be thinking, well, why do they have money changers? Well, well, because let's say you came from Athens to Jerusalem. The money that you would have would be different than the money that is accepted in Jerusalem. So you had to change your money. Like if we were going to France, uh, we would exchange our money for euros. And 
When you do that, there's generally a small price that you pay for that sort of transaction. Well, in the court of the Gentiles, it was a large amount of money that you were paying for that transaction. So, if you came to Jerusalem for sacrifices, you were paying a lot to have your money changed into a local currency, and you were getting charged an exorbitant amount to get a sacrificial animal, which you needed to worship. So people were caught in a bind, and some people presumably are having to make decisions that, so can I, can I worship, can I sacrifice, or can't I? Uh, it's going to cost me everything. And for the true worshiper of the Lord in those days, there, there's evidence that they were saying, yeah, God is worth everything, and I will absolutely pay that, and then go back to nothing. Again, problematic. We're all getting over something. It's okay. It, it's not COVID, by the way. Hey, that was a surprise. When I took the COVID test and it wasn't COVID, I'm like, well, what else is there, right? Like, it was a shocker. There are other things. You don't, it doesn't just, okay. Anyways. The other term, the other term that I want you to be familiar with is hypocrite. How it was used in the first century. There are kind of two ways that it's used. The first one outlined in this paragraph one who puts on a mask and feigns himself to be what he is not, a dissembler in religion. Our Lord severely rebuked the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy. So it's like an actor. Uh, and these, so you're, you're playing a role. I am a religious person. I want everyone to know that I'm a religious person. And it was acting. And that's all that it was. And, and that, that really kind of takes on the, 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 the Greek idea of it. Of course, you see from Job 8.13, the, the hypocrite's hope shall perish. But then in the first century in ancient Israel, there's kind of more of a Hebraic idea for it. It's not just really a mask that we're putting on. It's not just acting. It's, it's literally godlessness or uh, a profane uh, profanity as it relates to religion. So... There is something about this hypocrisy. It's not just acting like you are soiling what is good. You're profaning it. So recognizing these things will be helpful as we jump into the passage. We're in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and one of our staff members will get you a Bible. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles Underline, highlight, jot notes off to the side, uh, engage with the scriptures. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and contains within it words of life that uh, we have access to freely. So uh, let's jump right in. And as we go through it, we're going to walk slowly through it, talk about it as we go so we can understand it. Because there, like I said, there's a thread that ties this all together, and we might miss it if we're not careful. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So, 
there have been, uh, uh, there's a lot of talk about what, what was going on there. Let me just again identify it. Jesus sees a fig tree that had leaves. That's an identifier that there should be fruit. But the scripture says, well, but wait a minute, this, this is not the season for that. Well, uh, I've, I've looked in a few places, and we, uh, let me just cut to the chase. Uh, there, there's an archaeologist who is also um, an expert in ancient Israel from the last century. His name is James Kelso, Dr. James Kelso. Worked with some, uh, some uh, pretty renowned archaeologists the last century. At any rate, he said this. That the main season for figs to bear fruit is in the fall. This is in the spring. So, uh, so what's going on? Well, there, there are some species of fig trees that actually were in ancient Israel and did bear fruit during that time. Jesus sees that. The identifier, the key, is not that this isn't the time for fig trees to bear fruit, but rather that there are leaves on this tree that identify there should be fruit. So, so that's a significant difference and maybe what we understand and what we look at. Certainly, Bertrand Russell uh, didn't know that. <laughs> so Jesus curses a tree that doesn't bear fruit. When all of the time, Jesus is the one who multiplies life. Jesus is the one who brings life and extends things. Like when I think of the Messiah, I think, boy, Jesus, shouldn't you have said, have fruit tree <laughs> and like it bear fruit? Shouldn't, like, shouldn't that have been what Jesus did? But that's not what he did. Why? Because Jesus is acting in the office of prophet. Jesus is acting in the office of prophet. And when you, when you look at the prophets, they would often use um, stories, examples from their world to talk about what God is doing, whether that is with respect to marriage or plumb lines, lines with Amos. Uh, they would use common things to show what God is doing. And this seems to be a prophetic message that Jesus is teaching about what is happening in the temple. Don't miss that. There should be fruit. There should be evidence of fruit. But there is no fruit. You've had your time and you've had your season. And this unique species of uh, of of fig tree is not bearing what it should. Okay, so let's jump to verse 15 now. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Okay, so again, think about what is happening. The primary time for the religious leaders to get their money where they can pay for animals, where they can pay their priests, where they can pay for upkeep of the temple is during this season. From, from just, again, the, the ground level we're talking, okay? So I'm just ground level. This is their season. Prices have gone up. People are, are um, uh, being oppressed. They're not able to worship. In the place of the Gentiles, in this court of the Gentiles, where they should be allowed the freedom 
to pray and to seek God, there is all this commotion. Not just this commotion, but oppression. Instead of giving them opportunity, they are lacking opportunity. And now why, why would they do that? At least one commentator identified that one of the reasons that they did that is that the Jews of the first century didn't want Gentiles there. It wasn't just about getting rid of the Romans. Like, Gentiles, be gone. That we can establish this kingdom, that it will be an eternal kingdom, and that all the nations can look on and see what God has done. So... Jesus says, oh, wait a minute, this, this court, this temple is actually for all nations. And this place that should be bearing fruit is not bearing fruit. The place where life should be happening, where right relationships should be happening, is not happening. And Jesus is having none of it. And tables are being flipped. Things are being knocked over. And a statement is being made. The glory of God is returning back. And as the glory of God returns back, he's identifying there is still idolatry going on here. There's still oppression of the people. They're still not following the prophets and they're still breaking covenant. And there are going to be consequences. People have called this the cleansing of the temple, but that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is doing. And we know that because uh, from this point on, through 70 AD, we recognize that the offerings are not accepted. The offerings are not accepted. Uh, or the sacrifices, rather, are not accepted. So Jesus is cursing the fig tree. He's also cursing that, that place. Why? Because there's no fruit. You've had your time. You've had the opportunity. But you're perpetuating a different world system. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is being perpetuated, right? Even in this place that is uniquely and specifically designated for God. God says in Isaiah, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not share with another. And that is certainly true in this time. And there are consequences in this moment. Now, what else does Jesus do? Jesus establishes the fact that he says it this way, you tear down this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. Was he talking about that temple? No, he's talking about his body. He's establishing something, the third temple, the body of Christ, the indwelling of God with his people, corporately and individually. And we see it here. Now, Nah, I'll save it. We'll save it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's start in verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So like, they're making it so they're not making money to pay for the things they need to pay for and for them to be wealthy. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, Jesus is going to say something that seems just like, are we talking about the same thing? And the answer from our perspective is no. Watch and see. Jesus answered them, 
have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. So there's a lot there, all because of a fig tree? Like, hmm. Well, let's, let's look at this cord that's connecting them. From the fig tree, through the temple, through the prayer. Let's talk about this. The church is the only entity that I'm aware of that you have to be a sinner to be a part of it. Like, uh, I, I don't know anyone. For you to enter into the church, you're, surprise, you're a sinner. <laughs> and, and so am I. I. Nobody walks in the doors and we go, tell me about the last time you walked on water. How, how'd that go? You know, like, no, we're, we're not batting a thousand. We're sinners in need of a savior. For the church, the savior is Jesus, Right? We need him. I need him as much today as I did the first day that I called on him. God is doing a work, a transformational work in me. Absolutely true. God has cleansed me, is cleansing me, will cleanse me. Absolutely, that is true. But the reality is I still struggle with sin in my life, and I would suggest you do too. And that's a prerequisite to being here. We're, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, there's this other issue, and that's of hypocrites. So I would say everybody is a sinner, but not everybody has to be a hypocrite. Every hypocrite is a sinner, but not everybody has to be a hypocrite. Make sense? We're talking about putting that mask on, acting like everything is okay, acting as if we could walk on water when we're not addressing real sin in our lives. It's problematic, and Jesus so this, this thread of fruit, what is that obstacle? Because it appears that even the disciples are looking at this and going, whoa, this is different than I expected. And we see this through, throughout this whole week. They're, they're like processing in real time. Jesus is doing some stuff that is very challenging to them. And one of the things that he is doing is, is calling out this curse. <coughs> calling out this curse, and, and that the people who should be worshiping aren't really worshiping, and if, if, if they're not worshiping in the temple, then where can they worship? And well, wait a minute, Jesus told us that, that God is seeking that we would be worshipers in, in spirit and in truth, and how does that work? And Jesus says, well, wait a minute, if you, if there, if you put your faith in God, your trust in God, then those obstacles that are in your way, when you call out to God, he's, he's willing to remove. You don't have to be a hypocrite. You don't have to pretend like it's not there. Just get rid of it. And the way that we get rid of it is, is through Christ. And, and in getting rid of those things, we, we bear fruit. And one of the ways that Jesus identifies that fruit is that we forgive. We're, we're a group of people who forgive. We've been forgiven of a lot, and we forgive a lot. And that's part of it. So the fig tree and the second temple are cursed. They should have offered their fruit to the king 
and they didn't. And so we're stuck in that same place though, right? Where we're starting to make some mental transitions where, uh, and spiritual transitions where we're saying, okay, I see this in the scriptures. I understand it historically. Now let, let me apply this. Am I showing signs that there should be fruit? And is there fruit? The fig tree and the temple, both uh, Jesus identified symbols of fruitfulness or both were symbols of fruitfulness. There, there should be fruit in a fig tree. There should be fruit in a temple. There should be fruit in Christians, followers of Christ. There's even expectations of fruit uh, for a fig tree and for the temple, but there's also expectations for us that we would bear much fruit that God has already predestined us to. But then Jesus judges hypocrisy. The judgment is, first of all, it's, it's an announcement, right? We see it with, initially with the fig tree. Then we see it in 70 AD when the Romans come in and destroy the temple. They actually make it illegal for 70 years for people to dwell in Jerusalem. You can't live there. And then they rename Israel Palestine in 140 AD to mock the Jews because uh, it, it represents Philistine, right? Like Palestine is Philistine. Um, and, and so they're, they're mocking the Jews in that time for their rebellion. So there, there is a judgment, and it's, it's hard. And Jesus grants it. There's a symbolic act of judgment with a fig tree. There's the real act of judgment with the separation of, uh, uh, or the destruction, rather, of the temple. But then for us, where we, we have to ask this question about bearing fruit. What is going on in our lives? Jesus takes this next connection and he teaches it. He's like, you know what? You, you have to trust me. These religious leaders, what are they trusting? They're trusting some coinage. They're, they're trusting that they can overcharge. They're, they're, they're not trusting God in this place. And there's a challenge for that. Uh, just like there might be some obstacles in your life, he says to the disciples, you trust in God and watch and see what happens. And then there is this call to spiritual renewal. Like, follow me. Are you going to be of the world's kingdom or are you going to be of God's kingdom? This challenge, where we put our faith, where we put our trust. And so, as we're called to spiritual renewal, one of the things that we see if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, let's not ignore it. <coughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to give you an example this week. Um, I, I don't know. The holidays are great. There's also a lot going on, a lot going on in your world. Over the holidays, Christmas, New Year's, lots of stuff happening, preparing for the new year, me too. Uh, also, uh, my family got sick during that time, and uh, plans didn't go the way that we thought they would go, and this maybe comes to a surprise to you, <laughs> but maybe not. And I just, I, like, I can become really critical, and I started going down this road of just being critical of, of a bunch of stuff. When I say a bunch of stuff, I'm, I mean everything, <laughs> like everything in my life, critical. 
you name it, the, from the weather to relationships, critical. But what had happened is I, I just started to kind of move away from the joy of the Lord. And one day in my quiet time, I just really, what is going on in my heart? What, uh, what, am, I, what am I feeling? What am I sensing? What is the Lord telling me? What is, what is the fruit? And you're being critical, Kenny. You need to address this. So um, one of our elders called me this week and he said, hey, I heard you're, you're not doing well. I'm going to bring over some stuff for you. And I said, hey, would, would you anoint me with oil and pray for me? And he said, yeah. So he came over and part of the James 5 passage is to confess your sins. And so my, my boss, by the way, are the elders. So I'm confessing sin to my boss. This is great. And um, as we sit down, I, I just, I have to confess this to him. Like I have to tell him. Huh, I've been critical, and I feel like I've been losing the joy of the Lord recently, and I, I need to deal with this. And he prayed for me, and he anointed me with oil. Uh, and and I'm, I'm seeing some healing. But it has to start with that confession. We need to be a people who confess. I want to talk about some practical steps as we move forward now. Live a life that bears fruit. Stop pretending. If there is anything in your world, if there is anything that you're ignoring, hiding, if you're looking around and going, well, at least it's not as bad as Pastor Kenny. You know, like, whatever it is, uh, we, we need to get that out in front and to confess that to God. And we live in such a strange world with social media. Like, I it bothers me sometimes when, you know, you, you'll see this where someone has their Bible out and their coffee cup and a nice little muffin and they're taking this selfie like me and Jesus time. And you're like, what? Uh, you know, we present on social media as if this is our lives always and we ignore some of the, the realities of our lives. Uh, I've been calling it fake book lately. You know, it's like tacky talk, you know, it's. Uh, it's Instagram. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't know what is going on, but we need to live authentic lives before the Lord. And one of the ways we do that is addressing sin in our lives, to not pretend. If there is a mask to take it off, to repent of that. Confess and repent. Uh, I, I love this quote I heard uh, just this last week. It said, a spiritually mature person is marked by the time it takes to confess sin and repent. So like, do we have to have someone say to us, that's sin? Or do we go before the Lord and in the midst of his holiness, we go, I am a person of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Lord, forgive me. And we're able to identify it be because of our walk with God. That, that distance is what marks spiritual maturity. The early church had some prayers, of course, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, but one of the, the, the next primary prayers of the church is sometimes referred to as the Jesus prayer. And it just says, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it was often just re repeated throughout the day as it came to mind. People would say it. And it did a couple of things. One, it put Jesus in his right spot. Right? Like, he is Lord and Master over my life. Uh, he, is, uh, he is God over me, Right? And then also the reality that any moment of any day, I can walk in the flesh 
and deviate from God's plan. I could choose to come to God, confess that to him, and throw that mountain in the sea. Or I can put a mask on and pretend like it's not there. And those are our choices. I would challenge us to confess those and watch and see what God will do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we prepare our hearts for communion. Communion is a time where we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. It's a time that we've been practicing weekly at Friendship for a few years now. And and we've done it because it's like, man, what a beautiful opportunity for us to stand up and acknowledge Jesus before man. Now, I know that in in Matthew 10, Jesus isn't referring to communion. But I do think it's a great way to practice. Like, I'm going to stand for Jesus. So, at Friendship, we ask you to, after you've taken some time, to just ask the Lord to examine your heart, to stand, to go to the station nearest you, get both, the, both elements and return in the outer aisle back to your seat. as just a practical way of saying, hey, we're, we're following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. We're following Jesus. Hey, we're following Jesus together. Also, that this, this is not my work. This was his work. He did it for me. He was willing to give his life that I could have life. He doesn't just cover sin, he takes sin away. And that is a beautiful place for the people of God to go to weekly in this rhythm. And so don't get so familiar with it that you lose the meaning and the purpose behind it. And today would be one of those days where I would, I would ask you to ask the Lord, Lord, are there any masks that I just need to get rid of? Is there any sin that I need to confess? Is there... Is this a season where there should be fruit and there is no fruit? If so, oh Lord, I just confess that to you. I want that behind me. I want to know the joy of the Lord. I don't want to be critical, whatever it is. And watch and see what God will do in you and through you in these days. Join me as we pray.